Again, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And, uh, and I want you to think about that word for just a moment, the word thanksgiving. Because you know, the act of giving thanks does wonderful things for us, wonderful things to us. Uh, the, the act of, of giving thanks brings about a great sense of joy, uh, a great sense of contentment. But you know, the ironic thing is that our holiday of Thanksgiving often stirs up discontent. Uh, you know, and, and, and here's what I, I mean. Okay, did you know that our Thanksgiving in, in the U.S., our holiday of Thanksgiving in the U.S., it is situated where it is on the calendar, the fourth Thursday of November, uh, to, to, to extend the Christmas shopping season uh, and thus spark the economy. It is. You can, you can look it up. Uh, and, it, and it's worked, but you know what has come with it. And now, of course, it starts earlier and earlier each year, but the advertisements come in full force trying to convince you and me, in a sense reminding us that we don't quite have what we think we really need to be content. If only I just had that and that and that. And so a deep sense of discontent ends up getting stirred up in many of us. And so today, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to talk about contentment. Uh, being and becoming thankfully content. So let's turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, one of the verses in Paul's letter to the Philippians that's always stood out to me is the one that says, I have learned the secret of being content. And our text this morning, uh, one that will be familiar to some of you, is Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 13. If you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you're going to find that on page 982. Uh, but before we hear God's word, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, we come before you this day, and we desire to hear from you. To see you in the pages of Scripture. To see you in all your glory as you reveal yourself to us. And so we do ask, we ask now that you would open your word to us and us to your word. Speak to us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit in Jesus. Amen. And so, Philippians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 10. Hear the word of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned... In whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do 
all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Now, before we jump in, it's important that I remind us that Paul, the chief church planter, the top leader of the early Christian mission, that at this point in his life in ministry, he is, he is in prison. He is being held prisoner, guarded by Roman soldiers 24-7, and possibly awaiting a death sentence for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, why do I need to remind us of this? Well, if you're like me and you read the book of Philippians, it's so easy to forget. Because this, this book, this letter, is so full of joy. And here in this particular part of the letter, uh, it's so full of gratitude. And, and at the heart of this thanksgiving expressed to the Philippians is Paul's heart of gratitude toward God. And he declares... I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret, the secret of being content. So what about you? Are you content? And I'm not talking about just right now, right here, right now, this morning. But are you content, as Paul writes, as we read, in any and every circumstance? Man, I know I'm not. I mean, this is something that I struggle with regularly. In fact, it was pretty convicting just to get ready for this summer in the midst of watching all of those commercials. But the whole idea of being content, I know sometimes I even wonder, okay, this sounds good, but is contentment, is it really possible? And if so, how? And so in light of all this, the Apostle Paul invites us to consider at least three things about true contentment. What true contentment is not, what true contentment is, and how we become truly content. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. True contentment, what it's not, what it is, how we get it. So we start with what true contentment is is not. What better place to start than to look at our dictionary? So, Merriam-Webster's dictionary sums up the common cultural misunderstanding of contentment as being satisfied with one's possessions, status, or situation. In other words, contentment is defined by the world as being satisfied with what you have, where you stand in comparison to everybody else or what your situation in life is. And, and two basic views of this, this satisfaction. Uh, there's the minimalist view and the materialist view. Now, when I was a, a ski instructor in Colorado, I got to meet lots of folks on both ends and in particular, even to the extremes. So the, the minimalist view says less is better. If I don't have much, then I won't have much to worry about. So I'll be content. And so I think of my friend Steve. I, I remember meeting Steve uh, out on, on the mountain, and I was talking to him about this, this legend that I had heard, and he said, oh, that's me. 
And I said, really? You're the guy that lives in the snow cave? And that lives in the wooden shack when there is no snow? And he said, oh, yeah, 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 that's me. So here was a guy, as I got to know him, he owned almost nothing. In fact, when he got to Colorado, he sold his car. And whenever he needed to get somewhere, he just hitchhiked. So sometimes he arrived early, sometimes he arrived a little late. But he hitchhiked. Now, okay, this is an extreme example. But many of the people that I ran into in our little mountain community, they wanted to strip themselves of everything in this search for contentment. And yet in talking to them, true contentment always eluded them. Well, then there's the materialist view, which says more is better. If I have more, then I'll have what I need when I need it, so I'll be content. And here I'm reminded of a gentleman named John. I got to ski with him a few times. He was the owner of... Uh, president and CEO of a billion-dollar company. Uh, he owned a beautiful ski home at the resort where I worked, and that was just one of his half a dozen homes scattered throughout the world. And I remember one particular conversation that I was having with his wife, and I, I said, you know, what, what does John really, what does he really like? And she just shook her head, and she said, all he wants is more money and more power. And so as I got to know him, I saw this highly successful businessman, one who wanted to gain as much as possible, hoping to find contentment. But even with millions upon millions of dollars, true contentment always eluded him too. Because you see, the problem is that both views seek contentment based on circumstance. Uh, either how much or how little one has. Well, here in our text, Paul has known what it is to have almost nothing and face hunger and to have just about everything while facing plenty. And in both circumstances, both extremes, Paul has known contentment. Not because of how much or how little he had, but because of who he had. Or rather, who had him. You see, true contentment is ultimately not about circumstances. It's not about circumstances. Now, now that also means that true contentment is not denying suffering or pain or disappointment. And that's a stoic view of contentment, which... Paul attacks. We'll touch on it briefly in just a moment. Uh, Paul admits his struggles. He doesn't deny them. A true contentment doesn't mean liking everything going on in your life. Uh, Paul doesn't like being beaten or being in prison any more than we do. In fact, he speaks of longing to be free. True contentment is not settling for less than the way things ought to be. As you get to know Paul in the pages of Scripture, you see that he works toward making wrong things right. Contentment has nothing to do with complacency or passivity. It's not about denying pain and suffering. It's not about liking everything going on in your life. It's not about settling for less than how things should be. 
So then, what is it? Let's talk about that now. Let's move to what true contentment is. Again, Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I don't know about you, but if somebody has the secret of something, I want to know it. And Paul has learned the secret. Now, it's, it's important to know as we talk about contentment, it's important to note that the word translated here for content is a, is a, a Greek term regularly used in Greek philosophy in Paul's day. And used there, it expresses the ultimate goal of Stoicism, which is being self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Now, this virtue of independence was viewed as the highest of personal attainments because it emphasized freedom from need and thus the absence of weakness. And so this was something for you to reach for, to try to become self-sufficient. Because if you have no need, if you have no weakness, then you don't need anyone else. But also that means you wouldn't need God. And as I think about that, it actually sounds an awful lot like the way that I often view contentment. But what the Apostle Paul does here is he takes this word and he turns it on his head. He transforms it through the gospel. And he expresses the ultimate purpose of the Christian, which is being Christ-sufficient. This virtue is one of dependence. Dependence on Jesus for all things. Paul emphasizes the freedom to be needy. Acknowledges the reality of our weakness. Again, he says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. For I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Through Jesus. Paul is saying that true contentment is not about self-sufficiency, but about Christ-sufficiency. So let me illustrate it this way. A cheesy illustration. Some of you may have heard it before. But when I was a kid growing up in Georgia, I loved going to Six Flags. Six Flags over Georgia. I grew up outside of Atlanta. Six Flags is, uh, is in Atlanta. And so I loved going there. Now, if you don't know what Six Flags is, it's just a lesser version of Bush Gardens. But, you know, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter as long as there are rides, right? And, and one of my favorite rides was the bumper cars. I mean, my kids love the bumper cars at Bush. I love the bumper cars at Six Flags. And, and I remember bumping into my friends and, of course, complete strangers, but also thinking how great it would be if I could just jump my bumper car out of that little, that, that little range, that rink, and just drive all over Six Flags from ride to ride. How cool that would be. And so what I wanted is I wanted my bumper car to be self-sufficient. But my bumper car wasn't designed for that. I mean, sure, I might, you know, I'm, I might think it was for a moment if I'm going down a hill, but as soon as you hit going up a hill, you know it's not. So the point is that I realized my bumper car was dependent on a source from above. You can laugh, I know. 
cheesy, cheesy illustration. But, but here, here's the thing. You are a bumper car. You are a bumper car. You want to be self-sufficient, but you weren't designed that way. We were designed to be dependent always on the source from above. Designed to be Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. As Aslan said to Prince Caspian, If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you were not. You see, true contentment is not a position of independence, but rather a posture of deep dependence. Deep abiding dependence on Jesus. Pastor uh, Dick Kaufman says it this way, True contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. True contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. It's being confident that through Jesus we are given what we need exactly when we need it. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later, but right when we need it. And and I remember uh, years ago hearing this important truth. I'll put this way. I was in a black church with some African-American brothers and sisters, and I, I remember the pastor standing behind the pulpit and saying, God is never late, God is never early, God is always on time because we serve an on-time kind of God. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. And he went on to talk about how Jesus is our sufficiency in every moment of every day. That we can be confident that through Him we have all that we need when We need it. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later, but right on time. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. So so now that we've got a better understanding of what true contentment is, let's consider the how. Finally, how do we become truly content? And again, I'm not speaking as someone who has already arrived, but rather as someone who is still, like you, very much in process with trying to figure this out. But how do we become truly content? Well, briefly, just, just a few ways. First, we repent of our self-sufficient tendencies. We repent of our self-sufficient tendencies. That's the starting point. Uh, I remember back when I was a a campus minister down in North Carolina. I had a great campus ministry staff team. We would get together regularly uh, for staff meetings. And and always included was a season of prayer. And sometimes we would go on prayer walks. And I remember very vividly one uh, particular day I was uh, paired up with my friend and colleague Stephanie. 
uh, a William and Mary grad. And uh, before we started praying for, for issues on campus, uh, Stephanie asked how she could pray for me. And I, I said, you know, I have just been asking that God would make me more competent. That he would just make me more competent as a, as a husband, as, 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 a, as, a, as a ministry on campus. That he just made me more competent in everything. And then she looked at me and she said, well, what if God doesn't want to answer that prayer? At least not in the way that you want him to. Because if he did, then you wouldn't have to depend on him. And so she saw right through to what was really going on with me. Because what I really wanted is I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be made competent in all the ways that I needed to be so I wouldn't have to trust. And so we repent of our self-sufficient tendencies that we might learn Christ-sufficient dependency. Well, second, we recognize that Christ-sufficient dependency is learned. Okay, did you hear that? It is learned. Now, Paul says it twice, verse 11, verse 12, I have learned. True contentment, it's not a secret that's discovered under a rock. It's not a program that's instantly downloaded as much as we want that to be the case. It is rather a secret that is learned over time. In fact, it is a lifelong process of learning. You know that learning is a process. With that process, there are all the ups and downs. One of my, my favorite illustrations for this is thinking about a little child learning to walk. And you've got loving parents and, and what do they do when this child takes two or three steps and, and then stumbles and falls? Do they berate the child? Do they say, you idiot, yesterday you took five steps, only two today? No, of course not. But you know, I think for many of us, the, the way we live, the way we function, we, it's actually betraying that we believe that that's God's posture toward us. That yesterday, you were doing so great. What happened today? Do I have to keep putting up with you? But when you think about these loving parents, what do they do? They correct, they direct, they help lift up that child and help that child continuing to learn to walk. And that is our loving Heavenly Father's posture toward us. Because we do continue to stumble and fall. And he does continue to direct us and correct us and to lift us up as we learn to walk. As we learn Christ-sufficient dependency. Well, third, we cultivate thankfulness in our hearts. Very appropriate, obviously, uh, for this uh, holiday weekend. We cultivate thankfulness. And if you, if you know the whole context of chapter 4 here, uh, it's a thank you note from Paul. And, and, and face it, we aren't naturally thankful people. I mean, some people just cringe when they even think about having to write a thank you note. I'm one of them. My kids seem to have inherited that. 
Uh, but you know, we aren't naturally thankful people. And so like Paul, we need to develop a posture of gratitude. And how do we do that? Through the discipline of thanksgiving. Do you thank others regularly? Do you thank God regularly? Is, is your prayer life marked by thanking God? Even when times are tough, do you look for the things for which to give thanks? Because if you pause to give thanks regularly, you will be amazed at what it does for your heart, your attitude, your outlook. Thankful people are joyful people. Thankful people are more content. Well, fourth and finally, we trust. We trust Jesus. As one theologian puts it, the apostle had learned to be content because he had learned to trust. And we learn to trust Jesus as we get to know him, as we look to him in prayer, as we encounter him in his word, as we walk with him in the fellowship of other believers, an authentic, transparent, honest relationship with others. Through these means of grace, we grow in knowing and trusting Jesus. And as we do that, we become more content. But all that said, very important to remember is this. In fact, it's not just very important. It is essential to remember. We must remember that contentment is a gift. It's not the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. Knowing Jesus is what it's all about, and in Him we receive that gift, the gift of contentment. Again, true contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. And if you have Jesus, then you have all that you need. And I'll end with this. Corey Ten Boom. A name that will be familiar to many of you. A Dutch woman lived during World War II. Hid Jews from the Nazis, was found out, captured taken to Nazi concentration camps. Uh, probably best known for her book, The Hiding Place, uh, where she, she tells the story. She recounts the conversation that she had with her father uh, when she'd been a little girl and was facing the reality of loss for the first time. Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your train ticket? Why, just before we get on the train, Daddy, she replied. Exactly, said her father. And our wise and loving Heavenly Father knows when we're going to need things too. When the time comes that some of us will have to suffer or die, you will look into your heart and find the strength that you need just in time. In other words... I can face all things through Him 
who strengthens me. That's the secret. That's the secret we learn. Brothers and sisters, you can face all things through Him. And through Him, you will grow in knowing true contentment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks this morning, this day. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving yourself for us. And we pray now that you would convince our hearts more and more that we can truly face all things through you and thus live lives that are thankfully content. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our closing hymn.